Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Life Over Coffee. What I want to talk about is a common problem that we all have or we have had at some point in our life, or certainly the temptation of it, and that is bitterness. When we get in a sad state of affairs because of the disappointments that happen in our lives, we can find ourselves over a period of time becoming bitter people. Maybe that's you. I hope I hope not, but uh, perhaps you know somebody who is bitter. And if that's true, then I would encourage you to share this resource with them. The title of the article that I'm going to share with you is Bitterness is Self-Induced Poisoning of the Soul. There is an intrinsic nature to bitterness. The bitter person is like someone with a cup of poison. Each time they think about their problems or each time they think about an individual, maybe a relationship that they they're in because it is a disappointing situation or a relationship when they think about it they take another sip in most situations the individual is not aware of what they are doing to themselves it is an unwitting form of self-sabotage or perhaps they are aware of what is happening to them but the pain of their situation is so disappointing that they just don't care From their painful perspective, it is easier to grumble, to complain, to vent, and to hurt. And what I want to share with you here is that there is a better solution. And so if you're struggling with bitterness because of the disappointment or disappointments that have happened in your life, or if you know someone who is, then please, I would love for you to share this resource with them. I want to introduce you to my friends, Biff and Mabel. Mabel is bitter at her husband. Biff is mainly oblivious to the frustration that silently churns inside his wife. He's doing his own thing. And if you were to ask him about their problems, he would say, we're doing okay. I mean, sometimes Mabel gets a bit upset, but we're doing good. Every time Mabel hears him say something like that, she silently goes off the deep end. The accumulative effect of their 20-year marriage has left her in a low-grade churning state of bitterness. It is odd that Biff does not discern their troubles. He doesn't understand the depth of her frustration. He has convinced himself that he is doing okay, and if he's okay, she's okay. But it's just not true. Mabel is spiritually deteriorating by the day. Now, for the purposes of this case study, I am going to interact with Mabel, not Biff. And when I say that, I am not suggesting that Mabel is more guilty. She is not. But there is an implied blindside here. It is this. The person affected the most is the person who wants the most, and that person will hurt the most. And that's typically how it goes. Biff is okay. Biff is oblivious. But Mabel is the one that's wanting this marriage to change. And if I devoted this to Biff, it wouldn't matter anyway, because, again, he's not interested. And so, therefore, you want to build a resource for the individual who really has their head in the game, and they are the one that wants to change. And in this case, it is Mabel. She's also the one who is more susceptible to mental and emotional bondage because Biff has the ignorance inoculation 
or maybe even callousness. Mabel, who desires a good marriage, is spiritually dying. It seems the person who's trying should not be hurting so much, but things don't always work according to how we think they should work in our turned upside down world. It reminds me of the individual who gets drunk and they go out and kill somebody in an accident and and they walk away from it and the innocent person dies. Well, that's how it goes, and that's how it is here in this situation. Mabel is the one who is really spiritually deteriorating. She is the one that's hurting, and so she is the one that I want to interact with in this case study. And so let's pretend that Biff will not change, at least for the foreseeable future. Now, maybe some of you who are listening to this or watching the video that you want to take a stick to the side of the head of of Biff, But hold on. Though I understand, I mean, it would be better for someone to take a Bible and try to work it into his heart and not beat him upside the head. Biff needs intentional, steady confrontation. Somebody needs to love Biff enough to begin a process of Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. That is the church restoration principle that we see there in Matthew 18. And it starts with somebody talking to him about the problems in his life and in his marriage. Maybe there's a possibility that he would become convinced to start the change process. That would be the best possible outcome. But setting Biff aside for now, let's think about Mabel. We are fallen people living in a fallen world surrounded by fallen people. Becoming born again does not make us perfect, and it does not insulate us from trouble. We should continuously pursue holiness regardless of whether the Biffs in our world ever submit their lives to the Lord. Living in an imperfect world will not give us all of our desires, and even marrying a Christian will not completely satisfy our deepest longings. What that should do, it should drive us to the more important question that we have to ask ourselves when discontentment is fluttering around in our hearts. And the more important question is, what is it that I want? Or what will it take to give me God's peace that passes all understanding, to have that transcendent peace what does it take to get there to get that marrying a christian is not the answer and so there has to be something deeper than these humanistic methods that we have to find contentment in our lives how you respond to those two questions what do i want what will it take to give me god's peace that passes human reasoning well that will determine whether you will take sips from the cup of bitterness or find your thirst satisfied in Christ alone. And so I'm asking the question, what does Mabel want? Well, the way that you find out what Mabel really, really wants, what will make her happy, is you need to examine her attitudes and her words and behaviors. Uh, You can examine her attitudes by listening to her tone. Uh, You can listen to her words. You can watch her behaviors. What is she saying? What is she doing? How does she respond inwardly and outwardly when she thinks about Biff and her marriage? Take a peek under the hood of Mabel's life. You see, Jesus taught that if you are sinning on the outside, 
there is something wrong with you on the inside. And so you have to take a peek under the hood to see what is really going on to answer those most important questions. What is it that you want? What will make you happy? And as you examine, you'll probably find things like anger and self-righteousness, bitterness, fear, anxiousness, self-deception, arrogance, discontentment, discouragement, and even depression. Some or all of those things will be circulating in her heart. You may also find that Mabel has physical problems too because there is this interplay between body and soul. And what is going on in our souls can have a physical effect on us. Now, some people would look at this and say, they would say, well, really, the problem is, is Biff. He is the problem. Now, that assessment is partially correct. I'm not going to dismiss that out of hand, but I'll also say that is misplaced wisdom because that's not where you really want to go in this case study because you're trying to help Mabel. The, the person that she can help is her, so therefore, rather than focusing on what Biff should do, and he should do several things, you want to help Mabel to see herself clearly, and as hard as it may be for her to hear, Somebody needs to love her just enough to help her see what she is doing to herself. Though Biff is authentically, objectively sinning against Mabel, she's not permitted to retaliate in response to his sin. God does not excuse us to sin, no matter how horrible someone treats us. Peter explains this concept to us in First Peter chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, where he says this, For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and you're beaten for it, you endure? I mean, you sin, you were beaten because you sin, and you endure. What credit is that? But if when you do good... And you suffer for it, and you endure. Well, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Mabel has a hard choice before her. Will she be more mindful of God than her miserable marriage? That is the watershed question that she will have to answer. If her husband never changes... It will become imperative for her to find soul stabilization through the grace of God. If she does not, she will drink herself to death. The height of Christian maturity is when someone sins against you and you're not overcome by the sin while putting Christ on display despite the mistreatment. Suffering is our calling. That will be the next verse that I didn't read. I read to you 19 and 20 out of 1 Peter 2. Well, the very next verse in 21 says we're called to walk in Christ's suffering steps. Now, there are three primary reasons Mabel needs to gain victory over her sin in this order. Number one, her sin defames God. It does not put Christ on display. Number two, her sin defiles her. She's drinking from the bitter cup. 
And then number three, her sin defeats her witness. She won't be able to witness to anybody effectively well because her soul is not restored. And of course, she won't be able to help her husband, and that's the person that she really wants to help. Mabel wants a biblical husband, but her method for acquiring one is unbiblical. Watch the formula there. You want a biblical husband, but your process is unbiblical. She is defiling herself. It is self-sabotage. Now, the first point that I mentioned here, she is defaming God. She's not putting Christ on display. Well, that's obvious. And then the third point that I mentioned, she is uh, her, her sin defeats her witness. Minimally, she's not going to be able to help Biff. Well, that's not an option right now. And so what I want to do is interact with the second point. The one thing that she can do something about, she's drinking from the bitter cup. Even though her sin, her sinful reactions to Biff could manipulate Biff to change, she won't get an authentic God-centered husband that will last. A manipulated man is not a changed man, and so she doesn't want to go down that road. If she wants a God-loving man, the place to begin will be in the most likely place for change to happen in her heart. The upside to this approach is that if Biff does not change, but Mabel does change, there are two things that are going to happen to her that are really good. One, she will no longer be drinking from the bitter cup. And then number two, Biff's sinfulness will no longer be managing her emotions. That in itself should be enough to motivate her toward transformation. But because Mabel is sinning in response to her husband's knuckleheaded nonsense, we know that there is something wrong in her heart because, again, it's never right to sin in response to sin. And if you do sin in the response of sin, then it reflects back on you that there's something wrong in your heart. And so she needs to see the counterintuitiveness of this situation. Here's the counterintuitiveness of it. Her husband is an instrument in the hands of the Lord that reveals something nefarious in her heart. Isn't that how the evil people in our lives are? I mean, there's more to it than, than just this, but the heat in our lives, the nonsense in our lives can reveal things that we need to address. And so therefore, you could say what you meant for evil, God meant for good, that he is going to do a good work in my heart because I see myself more clearly now because of the evil that happened to me. And that truly is counterintuitive. And so here is an excellent x-ray question that will quickly get you to her core problem, and it is in a, a question format. And the question goes like this, I could be happy if, and then you fill in that blank. And the correct answer to the blank, I could be happy if, is I could be happy if God were my king or some version of of that. If you put any other response in that blank, then you have just described or defined what your functional God is. I could be happy if my husband was a better person. Now, again, that's a good desire, but if that controls you, then your husband becomes your functional God. And unfortunately, that's what we have here in this case study with Biff and Mabel.
There is only one thing that can control us at any given moment. Jesus taught us that in Matthew 6, 24, where he talked about you can't serve two masters. And so whatever regulates us, regularly regulates us, that is our functional God, whether that's Jehovah God or some other God that we have erected because we want that thing to make us happy. In Mabel's case, her husband has control of her, which makes him an undesirable and imperfect God, little G-O-D, of course. Mabel would presumably be okay if he would shape up and fly right by meeting her expectations, especially her desire for a God-loving man. And I'm not saying that Mabel's desire, that desire, is evil. It is not But it's also true that Biff is managing her, which has more influence over her soul's stability than the Lord. There is no question that Biff is managing her, that Biff has more control over her than God does. And as hard as it would be for Mabel to hear, she is an idolater. She's breaking the commandment in Exodus 20, verse number three, you should have no other gods before me. The implication is that if her husband would come through for her, she could stop sinning. She would be happy. If only my husband would come through, shape up, fly right, I would be happy. That's what she's putting in that blank. Mabel's theology says that she needs Christ plus a suitable spouse for her to be okay. Can Mabel change only after her husband changes? An important question. Or can Mabel change despite her husband's shenanigans? Mabel is unwittingly setting up a codependent grading system for her marriage. Her happiness is bound by Biff's performance. That's the grading system. If Biff meets her expectations, he gets an A, and I will be okay. If Biff fails, he gets an F, and I will not be okay. Plus, I will let him know by reciprocating sin for sin. She must recognize that her marriage may never be what she hopes for because Biff may never change. For now, Biff's restoration to God is a tertiary matter. I'm just placing it aside because, again, he is not the focus of this case study. Yes, he needs Matthew 18. I've already said that. But regardless of what he does, Mabel is negatively complicating the situation by allowing her lousy marriage to manage her emotions. The key will be whether or not she can find contentment in God alone while being less controlled by her husband's meanness. As she appropriates God's grace in her life for her benefit alone, she can then think about positioning herself as a means of grace to help her husband change. Setting aside her desires will be a significant first step. Can she trust God to help her to repent of her marital disappointment regardless of the outcome? Let's say that Biff does change. Let's say that he becomes everything that Mabel wants him to be. Would that make everything right? Think about your answer to that question. Would the marriage be biblically better? Would Mabel be happy? Well, on the surface, maybe. For a short period of time, 
possibly. But Mabel would not have gained the victory she needed over her sin because Biff wasn't the primary sin. Biff was merely the Lord's instrumentation that revealed the pre-existing sin in Mabel's heart. She might sin less often if Biff was not a knucklehead, but the strength of her marriage would always teeter on the merits of Biff's behavior. That's that grading system. You do well, you get an A, and I am fine. You fail, you get an F, and I'm not fine. Let me convey this by using a different kind of illustration. Suppose you had a crystal meth addict next door, and the crystal meth addict came to you asking you for a hit. She continues to come to you each day asking for another bump. You decide to give her a fix because it will make her happy. What have you done? Have you fixed the problem? Is she better or is she just getting her fix on? The problem with feeding the addict is the addict has an insatiable appetite for her drug. You will never satisfy her by being her supplier. You will never satisfy her completely. She'll always be dependent on you giving her what she wants. Mabel will never be satisfied as long as Biff is her drug of choice. Even if he did give her all she wanted, it would never be right because she would be getting her fix on through Biff. God is the only one who can satisfactorily supply all that we need. If we have to have a God plus someone else to make us happy, we will never be happy. We'll never be content. We, we would never have authentic biblical relationships. We will always be a people user. Part of the problem for Mabel is the grayish nuance between good and bad desires. You see, if Mabel had an evil desire, it would be easier for her to see the problem. You could walk her through why God says you can't have that sinful thing. Mabel's tension is that she doesn't want a sinful thing, an evil something. She wants a husband to love her how Christ loves the church. No sound-thinking Christian should have a problem with that. But the problem occurs when we can't get our good desires met. Mabel is convoluting the matter when those good desires turn into something she is unwilling to relinquish. Anytime this happens, it will put us just a breath away from idolatry. Our unmet good desires become expectations that we assume God and others should meet. It's good desire. It's great if God and others meet them, but we wait and wait for them to come to pass. When they don't come to fruition, we can become demanding and even mean-spirited, especially to those who should be the conduit through which we get what we want. And so you can break down the sequence in these eight steps. Number one, Mabel had a biblical expectation that Biff will be Biff will love me the way Christ loved the church. Great. Fantastic. It should be that way. Number two, her hope did not come to fruition. Number three, that good desire supplanted God as her source of hope, strength, contentment, and happiness. Number four, she probably never saw it coming. 
Usually we don't. What I'm describing here typically is so subtle that we don't see it happening. It happens to us before we recognize it. She probably never saw it coming. Number five, a mental stronghold began to develop in her mind. That is 2 Corinthians 10, a thought argument, a thought fortress that rises up in our mind. And we play that tape over and over again until eventually it becomes a stronghold and it takes our mind captive. Now Mabel has a stronghold erected in her mind, a thought fortress. Number six, it took hold of her thoughts. And each time she was disappointed by Bill's failure, she took an undiscerning sip from her cup of bitterness. Number seven, in time, the bitterness blinded, or the bitter poison blinded Mabel. And number eight, she became self-deceived. Now she's flying blind. Now she can't see what she needs to see. And this is where you have to be extremely careful in walking her through this because there is an element of dullness and hardness that's going on in her heart. And you need the grace of God. You need the Spirit of God penetrating that force field that has been erected because of this stronghold that has captured her mind. Good desires perpetuated a sense of self-justification for her sinful responses to her evil husband. Now she has a, 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 a moral platform of superiority where she has sanitized her behavior because it's a good desire. You should do this. Therefore, I can respond to you in any way that I want to. A compassionate and courageous discipler needs to help her see what she has done to herself. This person will carefully help her understand how those desires have twisted themselves around her heart. She's not beyond hope. The Lord can restore her. She can find satisfaction in Christ alone. She can be a means of grace to her husband. It is even possible the Lord would use her to help restore Biff, who is captured by his own sin. But the journey won't start until she is willing to allow someone to bring gospel clarity to her. Mabel has to see what she can't see right now. She needs to understand what she is doing. She needs to put down her bitter cup. The title of this article that I just shared with you is Bitterness is Self-Induced Poisoning of the Soul. I want to wrap up by asking you a series of questions. I have five of them for you that are in the call to action. I would encourage you to consider using this article, sharing the podcast, the video, sharing these resources with someone that you know who may be ensnared, similar to Mabel. But question number one, what sinful person or situation has God used in your life as an instrument of righteousness? righteousness to motivate you to change. And so I want you to think about the counterintuitiveness of sin that I was talking about a while ago, that sometimes we can get focused on what they are doing and we miss out on what they, what God is doing through them, even through the evil mechanisms of sin. This is what Peter said in his sermon in Acts 2, you uh, put Christ to death on the cross, but that was uh, the predetermined purposes of of God. God was using you for a greater purpose. Well, how has God used sin sinlessly in your life? What sinful person or sinful situation has God used in your life as an instrument of righteousness to motivate you to change? Number two, 
how long did it take you to realize that the Lord can use sin sinlessly? And then I would like for you to talk about a sinful situation in the Bible that brought about a righteous outcome. I don't use the one I just used in Acts 2. I use the cross of Christ. Obviously, that is one. But think about other situations in the Bible where through the evil purposes of men and women that God used those sinful people to bring about redemptive purposes. This is something that we need to think about because God is more expansive than we could ever imagine. And he can use things that we never anticipated. Number three, what did the sin of another reveal in your heart? And so now you're exploring a little deeper. And this would be a good question for Mabel. What is what is Biff's sinfulness revealing about your heart, Mabel? And so you want to walk her through that to help her to see through these questions that I'm asking here that she began to see her own heart because she has to turn. She's focusing too much, so much on Biff that she's not looking at her heart in the mirror, and that's the turn you want her to make. How would you counsel someone else who is in a situation where someone is sinning against them and you want them to find God's redemptive purposes in it? Number four, how easy, how easy is it to get tripped up when your desire for something is good? We understand when we don't get something nefarious, God should not meet that expectation. What about when the thing we want is not wrong on its face? And that is something for you to deliberate and reflect upon. And then finally, number five, were you ever mean-spirited to someone who did not give you a good desire? How did it go? Have you gone to them to receive their forgiveness? What should you do to bring closure to this problem? If you have something hanging out there because someone did not meet your expectation, your even a good desire, and you responded sinfully to it like Mabel, you don't want to lay down a pattern in your life because if you lay down a pattern, that pattern could set in, a stronghold could rise up in your thought life, and you could be poisoning yourself. The title of this article here. Bitterness is self-induced poisoning of the soul. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.